Welcome to the Abstract Veterans Podcast. Today, Char Gatlin and Kevin Siginger speak with Karen Grazianale. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Athlete for more information and news. The Abstract Veterans Podcast with Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a, another Abstract Veteran Series podcast with your host, Char Gatlin, and my, my partner down there, retired Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Sickinger. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Char, doing good. All right. I'm coming out to you from Montana. It's getting rainy. It's getting chilly. It hasn't snowed yet, but uh, we're getting there. I'm going to pick all my tomato plants this afternoon, too, unfortunately. I'm going to get them, get them in because growing up in this deep south, we make chow chow. And they just don't have chow chow out here in Montana. Well, they, they try. I'll give them that. They do try. But it, uh, but it is what it is. So uh, thanks for tuning in again with us. We, as many of you have listened in the past, we, on this podcast, we try to bring in different type of research and we try to make it simple for those in the traumatic brain injury and psychological health community to, to kind of understand. Sometimes it's very difficult to understand where research goes when it comes to terms like biomarkers and imaging but we break it down, at least to the best of our ability anyway, make it simple for, uh, for you, the listeners, to kind of understand what we do, how we do it, and to, and to better understand the world of traumatic brain injury. To that, we have a very special guest today, Miss Karen Grazianale. I hope I got that one correctly. I asked Karen a little bit earlier to pronounce it a couple of times, so I'm good to go on that. Karen is, uh, is a caregiver um, in the world of traumatic brain injury, but we're going to let her explain that one to you. One of the things that we did on this uh, series of podcasts was to bring in more caregivers, more survivors and other individuals, you know, that uh, not necessarily end users, end users of the research that something like Limbic since he does, but folks that, uh, you know, that see the realities, the, uh, yeah, the realities of traumatic brain injury on a, on a, on a daily basis. So with that, welcome, Karen, uh, and tell us a little bit of, about yourself. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, uh, my history is that my husband was hit by a car uh, in 2016. He was jogging with his friends and this guy hit him from behind um, and that sent him to the intensive care unit. He was there for two months and then went to rehab and he was in rehab for about a week and a half. And then he sort of checked himself out and came home. You know, I don't have a brain injury. I don't know what two people are talking about. And he came home. So I got sort of thrown into this world that I knew nothing about very, very quickly um, and had to learn really fast, you know, who's who and what the language is and what my husband needed and how to help him. So I think we talked previously about, I think your husband is retired military, is that correct? Yes, he spent 21 years in the Navy um, and retired in uh, out of Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, we thank him for his service. So I, I think that kind of falls in line. I, 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 could, I could picture myself checking out and saying I'm good to go and I'm ready to continue on with life, which is probably probably one of the main issues that we have with military. They are uh, very steadfast and mission focused and don't have a lot of time for self-care. Or, you know, so... How about telling us a little bit about you know about your husband and about how he how he did when he came back and and how you ended up with with what you're doing now? 
Yeah, he, um, you're right. It's that military training, you know, that says you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And he thought, I just need some physical therapy, build up my muscle mass, and I'm good. And as he started to do things, he started, he started to get a little bit aware that things were different and things were harder, but his awareness that it was because something was wrong with him was lacking. So it was everybody else. We're all doing something wrong. Um, his frustration and anxiety turned to anger. Um, it was really rough. It was really difficult because he wasn't that guy before. He was very patient. He was a chief. Um, so he was used to being in charge. He was used to planning and organizing and pulling everybody together to move forward. And because of where the injuries occurred, frontal lobe, he had trouble with organization and sequencing and all of those things that he did naturally before. Um, and he didn't want my help. Like he had balance issues and I would, you know, go to reach and grab him to help him walk but he didn't want that help. Like, I'm fine, you know, I'm a guy, leave me alone, back off me. And so it was really, really hard to not only just get him help, but to kind of figure out what help he needed. Because again, this was foreign to both of us. So in, in that vein, looking at the, you know, the help you need is, talk us through a little bit, because you, as you mentioned a while ago, you kind of got thrown into it. And it, and it happens a lot of times. I mean, you that's life. You walk out the front door and, and things could change, you know, in an instant, there's just no way to predict it. And in, in my experience, you know, I found that a lot of times the caregivers are a lot tougher than the service members in the, in the long haul. You know, there's no, no doubt about particularly military, military caregivers for sure. Um, but, you know, to, to the earlier point, how did you sort of educate yourself, you know, when it came to, to being a caregiver? Talk a little bit about maybe the, the pathway that you walked and some of the I had tools or resources that, you know, that were out there, you know, that provided you, you know, sort of guidance or information, you know, in dealing with the unfortunate nuances of the, of the injury. Yeah, that was really probably the roughest battle because when my husband was in ICU, of course, as you can imagine, they're saving his life. So everything is focused on his physical. And as we were transferring from ICU to rehab, you know, we had questions about the mental part. When are you guys gonna focus on his brain injury? And it seemed like there was this sort of, one day you'll know when it's the right time kind of answer, which is no answer. Like, what does that mean? So, you know, when we left and went to rehab, I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know who to go to, should I see something? And the people I was asking didn't seem to know either. Um, we're on the peninsula in Virginia, and you know, I think I told you my husband checked himself out. He just said, I'm out of here. This is not working for me. And so I asked, what are the local resources here to help? And they said, oh, there's not a lot here. You're probably going to have to go to Richmond. And I was surprised because there's a huge military community here, and I just thought there'd be a lot of resources well, they do all that stuff up in Bethesda and, you know, Northern Virginia and all that. They don't, I guess they don't do a lot of it here. So I learned about, we went to a support group and it happened to be at a place that is a community center or a clubhouse for people with brain injuries. And they had a flyer on the table and it was about the Brain Injury Association of Virginia. I had never heard of it. And at that point, I think it had been eight months since we'd been home. 
So we spent those first few months like really in the dark. My husband was hallucinating. He wasn't sleeping. He was agitated. He was having panic attacks. He was angry. I mean, you, the gamut, um, different medications. It, it was a very scary time. I would look things up on the internet and try to figure out what is this I'm seeing? Is this that? And then I talked to his primary care who was not a neurologist and talked to her and we tried to figure out and get him to a specialist. So it was eight, nine months of just trial and error, guessing. I did not go to medical school. So here I am leading my husband's care and his recovery and I don't know a darn thing about it. So eventually I did connect with Brain Injury Association of Virginia and then heard about VCU, uh, the Virginia Commonwealth University, called to get an appointment. Uh, it took three months to get that appointment. Um, but once we connected with the folks at, at VCU, then I started learning about all the different subspecialties. I started hearing things that was, yes, that's what's happening. My husband had a psych exam. And so he started to go, okay, there is something wrong. I do need some help. And at that point, we're about a year in. So that first year was trial and error, me researching and me just pushing, pushing. There's got to be something until I found something. Uh, you mentioned the Brain Injury Association of Virginia, which I think is a, a an offshoot of the Brain Injury Association of America, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in what ways were they most helpful and in what ways uh, have you also been able to find out more information, more support, more? I mean, it's it, it seems like you are like many others that we've talked to. It's a trial and error. It's it's jumping over hurdles, uh, jumping around obstacles, um, and finding your own path. So, and, and what other information do you have? Yeah, absolutely. So they do fall under that arm. Um, it every state, not every state has a brain injury association that's connected. So it varies, and even when they do, their services are different. So it isn't as hierarchical. If that's a good word. Um, as we're used to in the military. You know, I'm very used to structure. My husband's very used to structure and everything kind of follows a path and there's policies and there's this, and, and it isn't that way. When I first called them, they kind of gave me a form and it's like, fill this out and it's, you know, what information do you need? Is it about addiction or suicide or whatever? And I didn't need that. I really just needed to talk to somebody because I didn't know how to tell them what I needed because it was all foreign. So I don't know the language. I don't know the words that form did nothing for me. Um, I am the type that if I can't find it, I'll create it. And so <laughs> I actually started becoming the person that would say to them, your form isn't helpful, you need to change it. And here's the changes I think you should make. Um, the support group was for my husband, it wasn't for me. So I created a support group um, and started, you know, advertising and getting caregivers to come so that we could educate each other. What's your experience? What's mine? And just start learning from that peer support. And now I actually have caregivers that call me and I do one-on-one -on -one support. It's very unofficial. I have no organization or LLC. It's not associated with anything, but they'll hear about me. Oh, you know her? You should talk to her, she'll help you. 
And I found that peer support is the best because I can go and visit with a caregiver who's just in the beginning of their journey. And as that person talks, they know that I totally understand what they're saying. They don't have to have special language. They don't have to know about subspecialties. They don't have to even be able to explain to me what their loved one's going through. I know what they're going through and that compassion kind of helps them let their guard down and relax. And then I can share, here's a resource that might be helpful based on maybe that top thing they were telling me about. So to answer your question, there isn't a path that I found. I've just created my own path and I kind of just keep doing it. You're a trailblazer within your own right. You know, you've, you've done, I mean, you've gone through it and you've, you've created this system where others are learning now. I mean, you went from, from being a pupil, for lack of a better term, a self, self-taught self pupil in a lot of ways, to, to being a teacher. But but with that, you know, you, you kind of get tired. I mean, you walk point all the time, you, you sort of get worn out. So let me ask you this, and, and it's kind of a, maybe some of our listeners would like to hear it too. I mean, what do you, what do, you do for yourself sometimes? Because being a caregiver full-time to, to an individual, and it can not necessarily just TBI, it could be a whole myriad of, of other injuries, but it, but it wears you down, you know, and if, if you get worn down, then, then, you know, logically speaking, it's tough to provide care for the, for the individual to do. So tell us a little bit about, uh, I don't want to say taking time off. That's not the term I want to use, but, but how do you, how do you relax? How do you, how do you cope or any type of mechanisms as such? Right. Yeah. There's a lot in that question because, um, it's hard. You know, everybody has their different things that they like, but one of the things I learned early on was something called micro breaks, you know, because people want to tell you like, go to the spa or, you know, take a weekend <laughs> off. like you can take a weekend off and, yeah, yeah. but micro breaks, it's like, I have 10 minutes. What can I do in 10 minutes that I enjoy, you know? And so for me, it might be go out in my garden, you know, and water my plants or prune, you know, you know, mm-hmm. pick out my tomato plants or what have you. I have 10 minutes. I do that and, and I love playing in dirt and it feels good. And it actually, I feel renewed, but do a bunch of those throughout the day, you know? So I have kind of a routine now in the mornings. I I'm the first one up. So I get up and I make coffee. I beat the dog. We have fish. I beat the fish. My husband still sleep. It's quiet. It's calm. And I kind of set myself up for the day. And then I go and, you know, get him his coffee and, and wake him up. And we sit together until he's ready to have a conversation because it takes him about 45 minutes to an hour before his brain really gets in gear. And even then I have to be very careful that I don't overload him with the conversation. So I'm sort of jump, easing myself into the caregiver role. And then my husband takes naps every day, usually from one to three. That's my downtime. I can get a lot done in one to three. I can go to yoga. I can go to the park, I can walk the dog, I can go shopping. There are days where I'm so stressed and so, you know, it's just been a rough, rough day and I will just go to the mall or go to some store that I like. And I do this crazy thing where I find a lot of stuff, put it in my little baggy, buggy, go around and you know, I might redecorate the whole house or get a whole wardrobe or whatever. And then when I'm done, I put it all back and I walk out the store. I might buy a candle or a little one little thing for myself that's 10 bucks and I feel great. 
you know? So it's figuring out what the thing is that makes you feel good and just incorporating it throughout the day. That's, a, that's an amazing strategy. I mean, I, I think when I take a micro break, I go for a walk, but I keep walking and I keep walking. And next thing you know, it's a nice day and I'm not back in the office for, for three hours and people are looking for me. No, that's a, that's an interesting approach to compensatory strategy. I mean, I, that's, yeah. I mean, and to be able to put it into a routine, there's going to be said for that. And I hope a lot of our listeners out there are picking up on that. And it's really interesting that the, the point that you use is there's no really one size fits all here. You know, everybody has different backgrounds. Everybody has different ways of looking at things, different, uh, I guess, their responsibilities, if you will, or level of responsibilities. So that's, uh, that's a very creative strategy. And let me ask you this, actually, because we kind of skipped over it. And I apologize for not asking earlier, but how is your husband doing? He's doing okay. Um, we had a dark week um, last week because um, he went to the doctor and learned that his blood pressure is getting high. And in his world, everything is re related to the TBI. So he went, you know, healthy guy. We ran half marathon six a year, you know, so we were very active, very fit. And so, you know, he goes and it's now you need this medicine or you need that. And he's just says, I'm tired of being a patient. So he's having, you know, these different levels of depression, you know, where it's like, I've done everything right. And here, because of this TBI, it's not just affecting my brain, but it also affects my body. There's, you know, secondary things that can happen. And some things aren't related. We're aging. Some things are just going to happen. But because, <laughs> yeah. You know, they impact you differently. So, you know, we're all going to slow down. We're all going to have some memory problems. We're all going to, you know, have these things happen. But for him, he takes it harder. You know, it's more challenging. But to answer your question, he's doing all right. We just have to manage those hills and valleys, you know, make sure we don't go too high or too low. No, that's great. That's great to hear. Well, Char swiped my question there. So um, <laughs> what I was going to ask in conjunction with how your husband's doing is, I think you said it happened in 2016. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. And it kind of took the first year to really learn any of the ropes on on you know trying to trying to figure things out do you do you feel that that first year of trying to figure things out there might have been some opportunities lost there might have been uh, some roads that could have been opened up earlier that might have been beneficial yeah absolutely i'm glad you asked the question because that is my sort of passion project i have been working with different folks and different groups on what i call closing that gap from rehab to home. There's a lot of people who that year that we spent is three to five years for them, where they're in this dark hole, they have no idea that there are resources. And you know, the more rural you get, the, the more that, that happens for people. And so I've been working with folks at VCU, um, Dr. Seal is one of them, on a research project to get some folks that get engaged with the caregiver while the loved ones in rehab so that by the time they come home there's folks that are with them that can help them navigate all those things that i did by myself um, that to me will help escalate getting people to the right care sooner um, and kind of minimize that scary lonely feeling in that first year so that's one of the things i'm doing i'm also working with an organization uh, sheltering arms 
which is an arm of VCU. Um, I was up there yesterday, actually. Um, I meet, I'm part of the, we're starting an ambassador program. And so what we're doing is having a caregiver come in and meet with the folks that are going through rehab. And so again, they get to talk to somebody who's already walked this road. So one thing they get that I didn't get is a view of the future. It's gonna be okay. It might not look like what yesterday looked like for you. It might, you might never get back to that, but it's gonna be okay. And so that already helps people start to feel like there's some control. And then we can share resources based on their needs. We can customize it because, you know, giving people the water hose treatment of here's all the things out there isn't very helpful. But being able to listen and then help that person specifically hone in on what might help them at that moment is way more valuable. So that's the space that I actually work in. Interesting. It's it's and you've you've highlighted on it a couple of times that you know TBI a lot of times can be a secondary injury behind a more primary life-threatening injury that you have to address then and there. And then, you know, unfortunately, I'm not saying that TBI gets put off to the side, but it's not addressed, you know, in the, in the here and now. And as you, as you, as you, you know, rightly pointed out, as time progresses, you know, that first year, first three months are very critical, you know, in, in coming in with the injury. And, you know, once again, and, and I sound kind of like a, a broken horse, you know, this isn't a one size fits all, fall industry or injury, you know, when you, you made the reference to drinking from the fire hose, I think a lot of times, you know, when, when people, you know, come into, unfortunately have to come into the world of caregiving, you know, there's no sort of manual that you can, that you can give it, you know, turn to page seven, you know, if you have this and this a problem, but, but the, the sense of community that you sort of relayed and then your, you know, your involvement from becoming, you know, self-educated and knowledgeable about the injury into, into teaching others. How do you how do you see that spreading? I guess it's kind of a kind of an odd question, but with some of these these groups that you're involved with, you know what? In in, in, in I guess it's it's more of an opinion, but how do you see their impact going forward? You know, with caregivers such as yourself, and then you know, unfortunately, newer younger people coming into into the world of caregiving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly the vision I have. So in my world, there is a process or a um, a flow, if you will, that says, you know, the best time or the most optimum time to do these things are at these points by these people. Um, and I feel like one thing with brain injury, you know, acquired brain injury, TBI, stroke, what have you, is we do that thing where we say, if you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury. And I recognize that that's, you know, sort of recognizing the uniqueness of everybody's journey, but there are some patterns and trends that we know about. And I feel like as researchers and as you know, clinicians and people who've seen hundreds and thousands of folks go through it, that there's some processes and there's some ways we can help people navigate it. So what I'd love to do is create this model, you know, working with VCU and the TBI systems, sheltering arms and Brain Injury Association of Virginia that creates a true continuum that catches these folks, you know, at whatever place they come in, whether it's coming in the ER or coming into a doctor's office with a concussion or coming into an outpatient rehab facility, wherever they're coming in. And then we have professionals that help guide them to places that are specific to them. 
So we start to say, yeah, every brain injury is different, but we have the tools to help every brain injury. And it's less of feeling like an island. It's less of feeling siloed and alone. And it's more of this con community that lasts for a lifetime. Because as you know, a brain injury is a lifetime. You know, for some people, it's a lifetime sentence. For me, I'm trying to make it a lifetime that can be joyful. It can be happy. It can be rewarding. It just takes a lot of work and a lot of people. So taking that into, uh, the, into thought, how would you turn that into practice by giving, giving someone like us, someone like that consortium, one, if there's one nugget of advice that you could give us uh, from, from the user side, what would that be? Yeah, I think it would be to listen more um, so that you can assess where people are because people are ready for different things at different points and then connect them with a non-clinical person who can kind of help guide them. Like we need more guides. I think we also, I know we need more clinical people, but if you know that there's a caregiver or another family member, or there's, you know, a health um, advisor person who they can connect with, I think that's gonna go further down the road than any pill or treatment or therapy you can give them. Wow. This is an amazing story by quite an amazing, amazing individual. So what I have you here really quick, and we're about to, I think we got the nod from Ron up top in the box that we're about at the end of time here. But please provide, you know, some of the groups that you spoke about, you know, links or information. We'd be more than happy to, to post them here on the, on the podcast for others, others to see. And, you know, thank you for your, your inspirational words and message, because there's a lot of folks out there that may not, I don't want to say have the wherewithal, but maybe the ability, you know, to be able to, to come forward and to, you know, address the nuances of the injury in the, in the caregiving role that you have. And you're, you're definitely a role model for many, and you're definitely breaking trail for a lot of folks to follow. And I'd like to, you know, personally thank you for that. And there's a lot of folks on here that I imagine would, would, would echo the, the same sentiment. So, um, so with that, is do you have any any final thoughts or any type of, I don't know, words of wisdom for us? And then uh, we'll happily let you uh, go back on your way. It looks like a beautiful day out your window right there. Beautiful day. Yes, thank you. I, I think from a final thoughts perspective, I say, you know, recognition to everybody. This is a very difficult road that you're on, you know, that we're all on. It's a journey that nobody wants to take, but there are so many of us out here so you don't have to do it alone um, find somebody who you trust that you can share part of your journey with you may need a group of people you know one fit you know we all need our network of folks to help us through but that this is a long journey and as a community you know i'd say as a military community i think that prepared me for this you know, knowing that when you go overseas, everybody comes and helps everybody. It's the same thought here. You know, we're all here to help each other. And so I would say just reach out and grab, you know, whoever is there to help you and listen to you because they want to help you and it, it helps them to do that as well. Yeah, military spouse and, and caregiver, you know, two of, the, uh, two of the toughest jobs 
jobs in the world. Well, we'd like to thank you for being on here, Karen. Really, really appreciate it. Um, and continue, continue to break trail and set the example for others to follow because there's a lot of folks out there that need it and you're getting it done. But thanks for being on our show. Really appreciate it. As I said, please follow up with any of the information that you have. We'd be more than uh, more than happy to post it. And uh, listeners out there, always look back in on some of our podcasts. Look for the links. Check out the Olympic Sensing site. You know, if we if we can't help you, we can definitely point you in the right direction. And that's what we're here for to make science a little e easier to understand and to provide resources and, and a sense of community that we just actually we just we just heard Karen talk about for for folks out there that may be, uh, you know, maybe going through some, some challenges, obviously associated with TBI. So with that, I would like to thank the, my co-host, Kevin, the team that remains unseen and Ron up top in the box. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Karen, you have a great day and have fun with those tomato plants. I'm going to empathize with you from here in Montana because I have to go pick mine in a minute because it's going to freeze tonight. <laughs> but other than that, and then, uh, you know, feel free to always stay in touch with us. If you have any kind of insight or any input or, or maybe if you have a recommendation of someone to be on the uh, on the show, you know, please push them push them our way. So with that, you folks take care, and uh, we'll see you next time on the uh, veterans, or excuse me, the abstract veterans series. Have a good one. Thank you to Karen Grazianali for joining Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger today on the Abstract Veterans Podcast. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. The Abstract Veterans is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Veterans, The Abstract Doctors, and The Abstract Athlete. See you soon with our next episode. Thank you.